1: In that case, I pronounce
2: you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
3: details. Welcome to the Mike to New Haven podcast with sports personality Mike Colon. Here's your host, Mike Colon. This is the New York Police Department's bomb squad, part human, part dog, part robot, all one team. Lethal and indiscriminate. To disarm one is to save countless lives. The bomb squad has given the all clear. and the members of the oldest and biggest bomb squad in the United States are unique. The bomb squad was able to safely remove... A device. When you don't see them, the NYPD bomb squad is always watching for that unsuspecting threat.
1: NYPD bomb
2: squad racing in and hauling away another suspicious package
3: Packets depend properly identified.
2: You're listening to Tales from the Boom. Profiles of the NYPD's arson explosion. Bomb squad.
0: When they come for you, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Nobody not nah, giving no break. Police nah, you no break. not giving no braids. That old soldier man, I give you no break. Not teasing your I you not nah, giving no break. Hey, hey. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you?
3: is filmed on location with the men and women of law enforcement all suspects are innocent
2: until proven guilty in a court of law it is throwback tuesday and i just felt like using it i had that clip i had that queued up for a while i just i I don't even know i just felt like using it so i did uh welcome ladies and gentlemen uh, to the mike the new haven podcast this is another episode of course and it is a milestone tonight for episode 219 tales from the boom room has officially hit Volume 30. We started it last year at random on a whim with the help of my friend, retired NYPD arson and explosion squad detective, Billy Ryan. And he gave me the idea. He gave me the title. And I thought, okay, why not? Sure. And here we are, 29 volumes later into tonight's volume 30. Volume one was with Billy, of course. And uh, it's going to be an interesting case. If you haven't checked out the previous episode, that was volume 29. That was with Steve Russell, who was for five years. And you crossed past them, Paul, uh, the lieutenant in charge of the arson explosion squad. Good man, Steve. 23-year career in the PD, very diverse career at that. That wasn't his only stop. So Paul is back tonight. Uh, you may remember Paul Pericone, retired in my PD bomb squad detective from Volume 6 of Tales from the Boom Room last year. And he's back for this case, September 17th, 2016. It was a late summer Saturday in the city that never sleeps. And it was just six days after New York City had solemnly marked 15 years since its darkest day of 9-11. And the shadow of that milestone anniversary was a cruel reminder that terrorism is still very much a threat to New York City when – pipe bombs would strike first in New Jersey. And then later that day in New York, in the very, very busy Manhattan neighborhood of Chelsea. And this was a big investigation for the NYPD's bomb squad, but yet again, they rose to the occasion. And Paul was one of the guys that worked that case. And he joins me now, like I said, retired NYPD bomb squad detective, former emergency service cop too. And we'll talk about that a little bit later for this milestone volume 30 of Tales from the Boomer Paul, welcome back, how are you?
1: Mike, thanks for having me. And I, I have to congratulate you because you have come leaps and bounds my friend you've had some great great people on your show and i i gotta say i i picked up a job uh, i work for the united states bomb technician association and and we're based down in maryland and it's about a three and a half hour ride so i may catch a couple you know maybe a half an hour of your show at night sometimes but when i'm taking that ride down south and i got three hours to kill i'm i'm yeah that's it. That, mike the new haven that's it
2: there you go love it love yep. it and of course I mean, that job, uh, you know, it's funny. You went the New York Yankees route. You're clean shaven now. You know, I remember last yeah. time you came on, you had the beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, it's good. You weren't gone that long. You're only out two years. You did the Jordan. He left in 93, came back in 95. you picked up where he left off. Yep. So good for yep. you. Having a good time. You. Absolutely. I could see that. I could see that. And I got Billy Kennedy on the chat already saying he's looking good, Paulie.
1: Hey, Billy. Thank you, buddy.
2: Good to see you, Sarge. Good to see you. Always a loyal viewer of this show. So that night, I remember talking about it with you last year a little bit. We can dive into it in in detail tonight. I remember talking about it with Mike Garcia, too. It was a summer Saturday, and you guys are busy because for those of you that don't know, and then you could take it from from, uh, where I'll leave it, September to December for the NYPD bomb squad is really, really busy. You have UNGA. You have various parades. If any of the sports teams, like the Yankees or the Mets, as is the case this year in the playoffs, you got to do stadium sweeps and then you round it out, of course, with the ball drop in December. So this is right in the middle of UNGA, the bomb squads taxed enough as it is. And then you get that night and I'll let you take it from there.
1: Yes. So, so, you know, it's, it's kind of weird and wild because it's, uh, and we also have the tennis open involved in that too, but right. You know, leading up to September 11th. And I think this is every cop has it like in, you know, in their spine that, you are walking on eggshells and you are hypersensitive leading up to September 11th, which is, you know, we're always looking over our shoulders and we're always waiting for the next, you know, horrific attack. Um, and it's funny that at, like on September 12th, it's almost like whew, you know, we dodge it. But it, that's never the case because there's always that active threat. But you do get kind of a, a false sense of security um, by that, the passing of the day. It, it's kind of weird. But, um, but that, that day was that that I remember it been a gorgeous day and we were, we're getting ourselves set up for, for the UN general assembly was kicking off the next day. And, uh, I mean, we had a, a ton of equipment being brought down it was the night before down to the office and just having more stuff staged. And we, we had a, you know, a, a steady stream of, uh, of equipment to be checked and, and all that. But, but that morning. That morning, I was on the phone with with Mike Clag, who is a, uh, a he was a sergeant at the time in the Jersey State Police, and uh, we had learned from for just just from over the years with with having jobs that it, nothing is you know New York centric, nothing is Jersey centric, nothing's Boston centric, and you know if we had a job, e- even if it wasn't a catastrophic job, and it was just you know if it was a small device or something like that, it was always you give you give your neighbor's a call. So, uh, Boston marathon, I'll I'll give a shout out to Erica Hagan, the mass state trooper, dear friend of mine. I was on the phone with him all day as he's going through the events of, of the Boston marathon bombing. And he's telling us like, Paul, you know, we we need help up here. You got to get, we couldn't go because they thought that the bombers were heading to New York, which is, which was actually the case. But we, we always swore to each other we would never just like hold information to our hearts. Like we would always make sure we get on the phone and and that was the case that morning. Uh, my, Mike Clagg actually called me and, and we had a long talk and we we discussed like what, what they had and it was like, okay, hopefully this is just an isolated incident. Hopefully it's not that catastrophic, you know, we don't have a mad bomber on our on our hands. Turned out we, we did, but um, they did a fantastic job that morning. And uh and they were very lucky with the, the chain of events that took place because the first before those, de, before the device went off, a cop had stopped the race. He was just doing his basic sweep prior to the uh, start off of the Marine Corps uh, run down there. And if he, he found a, a backpack, so he, he held the race up and they end up, the bomb squad came out, Jersey state police was supporting them as a bomb team. And, and they ended up there, they cleared the bag. And it was, it was okay, fine. But the race was delayed. Now, sure enough, the cop is driving up the block and he just passes the pipe bombs in in the garbage. And one of them went off. So timing wise uh, that bag held them up, which was perfect. And the Jersey state police went and they, they handled all of them. I'm not going to describe any uh, render safe procedures or anything like that, but they handled the rest of the devices, they collected a lot of evidence and uh and then we started, you know, we got the phone call. And now we are hyper alert in New York that the UN is kicking off the next day. And uh, we would just continue to check our gear. And you know, it was it was an all day affair of checking every single truck that was in the garage, out in the out in the yard, parked on the sidewalk, you know, we just made sure every single thing was 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 up to snuff and ready to go.
2: This is Paul Pericone. This is volume 30 of Tales from the Boom Room Profiles, the NYPD's Arson Explosion and Bomb Squad. Shout out to everybody that's tuning in tonight. Of course, some of the guys that you worked with, Pat Pogan's in the chat as well, and Pete Whalen's uh, tuning in via I LinkedIn. Know. And he says, uh, great E-man. I, I learned a lot from Paul back in the day. Good to see uh, you,
1: Pete. I, I learned from him, not the other way around.
2: <laughs> Good yeah. E-man, Pete. He just retired, of course, after 23 years out of Brooklyn, Struck 6. Come on the show, Pete. I'm waiting for you. Adam, so uh, that, <laughs> that being said, you know, at this time, There were three pipe bombs in total. Uh, One of them, as you said, went off. The other two were described as rudimentary. Uh, And, of course, they were subsequently taken out, rendered safe. But that delay, as you said, saved a lot of time. You're getting this intelligence. And, again, you just don't know because you're stretched thin. So as far as deploying resources, I don't think the bomb squad now has an intelligence coordinator. I know back in the day that was a thing. You mentioned being on the phone with the guys from Jersey. But as far as having guys be on the lookout, was that even possible personnel-wise with all the guys you already had dispersed?
3: Uh, uh,
1: I I do believe we had an Intel officer. Um, The the, the unfortunate thing was the UN is kicking off. We're all hands. So you may be the Intel officer in the office and you are making phone calls and you're making schedules and stuff like that. But guess what? You're working, you're working a detail tonight or you're working a detail tomorrow. You're going to be in the street because every guy is going to be working these, these details. It's it's just important to have this an an abundance (laughs) of staff. You have to get them out there and you have to get them working.
2: Right, of course. Yeah. And the description here is, uh, as I said, the pipe bombs were rudimentary in nature. The race was canceled after the explosion. The beach and the boardwalk in Seaside Park, it says, were evacuated. Police officials and federal agents soon went door to door asking residents about information regarding these bombs or any suspicious yes. activity they may have seen heard or witnessed so early on you don't know the makeup of the suspect yet it's still so new it just happened yeah. but did anybody say hey i saw this and this didn't look right beforehand Did the jersey guys were they able to pick that up beforehand not that i know
1: of um like i said they um if it wasn't for the fact that they slowed the race down with that first suspicious package that they handled the devices although well, the one device probably would have gone off while the race was running
2: yeah and these are so members really of the intel involved. yeah Right. So a specific target against them. Uh, So that being said, later that night is when the secondary explosion takes place. And they have the information. Once again, I'll refer back to it here. Chelsea, for those of you that don't know, is a very, very, very busy neighborhood in Manhattan. And, of course, the same day as this particular bombing earlier, which didn't hurt anybody, thankfully. This was a pressure cooker bomb. It was filled with shrapnel, uh, small metal BBs. And it was put into a dumpster where it subsequently exploded over on West 23rd right between the avenues of the Americas and as well as seventh Avenue. And that was eight 30 at night, generally before we continue on a Saturday night, especially it's the summertime, more people are out in Chelsea. How many people are walking the streets in that neighborhood? There are hundreds of people, hundreds of people
1: walking up and down. Um, so the, the the placement of the device, we're not sure. I, I believe that the, the device was placed outside of the dumpster. Uh, I'll get into it a little bit later, but that, that dumpster flew it was 123 feet from its location, or its original location, because we found the seat of where the the explosion actually took place. Um, so just backing up a little bit, we had we, we had a pretty good staff work. We had a great staff working that day. We had Chris Connolly was our sergeant. Uh, myself and Steve Sanson were working as a team. We had Jay Halleck and Tim Brady were working as a team. They were filling in for my team. I had, I had two guys out. And then Joe Giajano, uh he was a police officer at the time, uh, Joey is our um, our kennel master now. He, we 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 scooped him up from Canine uh, a bunch of years back, and I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't even think Joe had gone to school yet. So it's the UN. Everybody's you know on overtime, and in that case, if, if we had jobs and it did work out that night, Joe, not being an H- um an HGS grad yet, he was going to stay at the office and answer the phones. Normally would have been a nice easy night. It was not a nice easy night for Joe on that night the phone's off the hook ringing crazy you know everybody asking questions and stuff like that so um uh, so as you say yeah so about eight we're getting uh we're getting reports just over nine eleven, uh, and it's just n- n- nothing big at first but it was explosion on 23rd street and you know what i hate to say it like i said we had that false sense of security and um there are gas explosions, steam explosions. There, there are steam things that go on. All and a lot of them will ca- cars backfire and come in as explosions. So we always wait for it to go through the filter. It's got to go. Patrol's got to get it first and 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 give us the intel. And uh, and sure enough, the, the intel starts flying through. And um, we get reports of windows are blown out, multiple multiple injuries, smoke conditions, uh, people screaming. So we're on our way. We're in the trucks and we're, and we're heading up. It was an absolute parking lot. Trying to get to this job, everybody and their sister were on their way to this job, and it was just holding holding everything up. And all we wanted to do was get on the scene. Um, so I, I don't think we got up there until about probably a good ten minutes. And I I, I got to say, we were out the door in two or three, and we spent a good ten minutes in traffic, just trying to get up and begging over the radio for them to pull traffic to get us in. And, um, they, they called a mobilization, which was great. And I don't know if you, are you aware with mobilizations level one, two, and three?
2: Yeah. The highest yeah. I think is four, which hasn't been cost. since nine eleven.
1: Right. So, so now you call them mobilizations, which is bringing resources from, um, Uh, not even task forces um, from from patrol and from everywhere just to now get in there and to do traffic, to, to, to just start slowing things down, to speeding things up. Just, you know, you got to get as much resources there to to hold this scene. So now the level uh, level two was, was called and we finally get in. And now we're kind of sealed into the location. So we show up, we've got the sergeant's car, which is a suburban loaded with equipment and our 14 ton truck. And um, that's two techs, a dog, uh, robotic platform, suits, x-rays, every everything you can imagine uh, that a bomb squad kid would want for Christmas he's got on that truck. I mean it's, <laughs> fully, it's fully loaded and there's you really we had no had no needs for extra equipment for an, for an initial job. So we got 29 Aides removed to Bellevue. Um, several unoccupied and damaged vehicles. Throughout the street, airbags deployed, windows blown out, and cars are just—they've they, got pock marks and hole marks from from fragmentation. I mean, it's absolute. You can see shrapnel went through this, frag these cars, and perfect uh, holes. You know, um, and now we're worried about secondary packages. Uh, so next to the area, we're kind of getting some intel from 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 the local um, from the precinct guys and some from ESU cops that were already there, and they kind of like we think it was in this area. So sure enough, we do find the area where the, the, the device went off and there are there's garbage bags there's shopping bags or other like pieces. Like we, we weren't sure if we may may have had a secondary device. So it was just it was Steve and I and Sergeant Connolly. Sergeant Connolly was, was like holding back the, you know, the horde of of stars and bars. I wanted to get in there and find out. But this is still as far as we considered, uh, you know, a dangerous scene
3: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary legally prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus so steve and i decided to go we went
1: tactical and we 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 did um we did play carriers with hand entry tools and some small x-ray equipment and we just got in and just started quick examinations and we were able to clear we we cleared um three garbage bags and uh, two like large-size closed-up shopping bags that we thought may have been suspicious. So now we we realize that um, possibility that our friend from New Jersey or another or maybe a friend of his is now uh, starting a, a campaign of some kind. So we call for the second team from the office. And the, the way 23rd Street was laid out that night was the, the placement of the device on – it was on the north side of the street. There was a construction site there and there was an overhead, um, an overhead scaffolding that ran probably about 150 to 200 feet in front of a whole, you know, at least one building. And all of these two cubic yard dumpsters were lined up uh, by in front of the scaffolding. And this was a typical construction site. You know, that you bring a couple of two, two cubic yard dumpsters into an elevator, you bring them up, you, you gut the building, you take it out, the garbage truck takes it away because it was Saturday all these dumpsters are empty and lined up outside. Hmm. Scaffolding is up. And I, I, I know I do it myself when I'm walking in the city and I see uh, it's a beautiful, you know, I'm walking down 23rd street on a nice night. I'm not walking under that scaffolding, It's <laughs> been closed. I'm going to walk across the street where I could walk, you know, see the shops that are open and see stuff like that. And, and just have, I don't know, a sense of security. I don't like being trapped under a piece of, you know, scaffolding. Right. So. The people across the street and the people in their cars, those were our injuries. Um, if more people were on the other side of the street, you would have had multiple fatalities and more injuries brought to the hospital that night. So now we call for a second team. We we have um, Jay and Timmy come and uh, Jay's dog, um, Hammer. And we said, listen, we got all these dumpsters lined up and we have like a lot of ground we need to cover before we start processing the scene. So they immediately, the four of us, Sergeant Connolly, we get working and we're searching the whole block and we just want to make sure. And we had, we had counter terror dogs. We had transit dogs. We had just regular canine patrol guys. Anybody who had an explosive detection canine was, was probably on the scene or at one point um, in that night. Uh, so now we want to make sure that the bomb squad is happy with the block. We clear the whole block now at this time. Now that's about around, I guess, around one o'clock, one fifteen. uh, Lieutenant Tories in uh, special, special agent bomb tech, uh, from the FBI, Pete Licata, great guy, mentor of mine, just a, just a, a good buddy. They're on the scene. We call for crime scene. We call for the ERT, the evidence response team. And we we got we to gotta set up a perimeter. We got to close this block down because we don't want to start losing evidence. So Pete and I have a conversation and um, we, we, we kind of had a decision made that we don't know whose job this is yet. I don't know if this is the FBI's. I don't know if this is NYPD's. But we both... Had learned from the Boston Marathon uh, crime scene that they stretched it out too long. Um, and granted, they and, and rightfully so, they, they they were running all night. They ran out of bomb techs. They ran out of evidence people. It was just a it, it was a horrible horrible event. And but everything that came out of that afterwards, the hot wash after that was like, listen, we really should have collected more evidence, had more people to collect that evidence, and make a decision on how we we're going to process it. So Pete and I came up with the decision like, listen, evidence response is going to tag NYPD crime scene is going to photograph you and I are going to walk this scene and we're going to identify with the bomb techs. And um, no matter who gets this case, we're all going to go to court on it and we're all going to testify. I marked it. I took a picture of it. I found it. Whatever. But we got to make sure that this is established. So I'm trying, I'm going back and looking at some stuff here also. Um, so now it's about, probably about 1045. An ESU lieutenant comes over to me. I'm sorry, ESU sergeant. Uh, we've trucked two sergeants. And he they, they're providing, they're doing great. They're giving us everything we need. They're backing us up. You know, all, they lit up the whole block, which was great. And as we're, we're you know, we're trying to keep everybody at bay. um, another little funny thing not not that it's that funny but as i'm bending over trying to find find more evidence i have a one-star chief who's a friend comes over taps me on the shoulder paulie what do you need i'm like chief we're doing good i got a lot of staff here we're good all i need is everybody get off the block oh great (laughs) he gets he gets a two-star and I knew him too. He's like, Oh, chief, Paul, per- oh, Paul, how are you? Paul, Paul, what do you need? I'm like, chief, honestly, I just need everybody to get off the block and that, and we can, and we'll get moving on this. Thing. And they're like, thank you, Paul. No worries. No worries. We'll get you. We'll get these guys out of here. Now the chief of detectives and the police commissioner come over and I'm like, so I go to Pete Licata, who's my special agent bomb tech from the FBI. I'm like, Pete, they're all yours. And he goes, Oh, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, Paulie, you know what, what do you need? Paul? you know, that because I knew them too. And it's like, well, uh, Commissioner Chief, this is Special Agent Bomb Tech Pete Lacotta from the FBI. Pete, what do you need? I need everybody to get off the block. Everybody get off the block. Everybody clears out. They pushed everybody out. I was like, wow. I said, how come you weren't doing this all night long? I said, we we could have you know been been working a little bit faster, you know, a little bit quicker. So that was you know, yeah, you, you hate to make light of certain things, but you end up you, you need a little levity. Time. You
2: know, you have to. Right. You need a little levity before you continue. I have to say, speaking of levity, I, he just he swooped in and said this uh, right when you were talking about the heavy stuff. Our, our, our friend Stefanakis, you know, <laughs> hey, chick, you don't know anything about lobsters.
1: <laughs> I do. I do. We've, been, we've both been instructed.
2: <laughs> good to see you, Steve. And and, I, and good job. by Truck Ten the other day on that terrible job in Queens, getting that guy out of the apartment. Well done by those boys under some very tragic circumstances. Anyway, continue, my friend. OK.
1: Okay, so so now it's about a quarter to eleven, and ESU Truck Two Sergeant comes over to me, and he's holding a picture on his cell phone, and it's a pressure cooker with a cell phone attached to it, and he says this is on Twenty Seventh Street right now. So we had this feeling that we are going to be running all night long. So we already had a team coming in to work the UN, and Lieutenant Tori immediately called them and was like, "Listen, you get in early now, man the office." And we'll get more people in as needed because you don't want to just start filling people up at the scene. Because now if if our bomber starts spreading his his reign of terror around, we may have to start having guys go in different directions instead of the direction that we're in. So Lieutenant Torrey, Sergeant Connolly, uh, Jay and Timmy, they run over to 27th Street and they bring with them um, Special Agent Bob Tech, Kenny Leung from uh, from the FBI. And they start working that scene. And um, within I think within about five minutes, they, they, they had dismantled some of the things that that needed to be dismantled. And they decided to put the robot into a total containment vessel. We had had conversations prior to leaving. Like, listen, if you have to take an action on the street, you know, I, I had gone to some training, like honestly, like two weeks before. Well, maybe three weeks before this night. And we had dismantled and taken apart pressure cookers like all day long, every day. So kind of shot them in. Hey, listen, guys, you want to try this? This this is what we were using and it worked well. And we decided we did not want to do any take any of these positive actions on the street because now we're opening up to another crime scene. So they decided to put it in the total containment vessel and send it up to the range. And a total containment vessel is a... Um, it's a sphere on the back of a truck that, uh, ESU actually keeps for four hour jobs. And the idea of that is that if, um, if I'm already working the scene, and this was a perfect example that night, that if I'm already working the scene, I can't go back and get the TCV. So ESU is already married to us on the scene. They're already getting us dressed out. They're already giving us Intel on the scene. They're providing us first aid. If we go down, they're going to rescue us. We are, I, I, I teach, I, I taught um, almost every specialized training school class. Thank you, Billy Kennedy, for having me down um, to rescue the bomb tech, to dress the bomb tech out. And I would give them explosives recognition and ID recognition on what to be looking out for, you know, in these type of events. So it wasn't just oh that's you know some garbage over there. Well you know the they, they could be something that could be more suspicious. Let's get the bomb squad here and then they wait there with us and we train them. Also like I said, the big deal is for them to rescue us if we go down. Um, so ESU also their property is the TCV. So fortunately with all the UN pr- um, preparedness going on, we had a TCV there in, in a pretty quick pretty quick time. Pretty pretty. Uh, pretty rapid response for the, for the TCV. So the TCV is, uh, on the scene. And if this device would have gone off, all, all it would have done really would, it would have gone off inside the TCV and then the TCV would have vented out gases. And it depends upon how much you're actually putting in the TCV, whether it's okay to, to do that. And in this case, it was, it was fine. Um, so now because it's there and it's safely locked up, um, they we had you, know, you have to formulate a plan on getting this to the range now. So it's it's not just take it up there because now you have to make sure every road that the TCV is on is clear. So it's almost like drawing up a motorcade for the president. You have to have highway patrol way out in front of you. You have to make sure there's no vehicles on or about your sides or, you know, in, in close proximity. And then the TCV is going to go to the range and, and that's it that they, they did manage to collect the cell phone and the cell phone went right to Quantico. And that, and that was going to be examined by um, agents down at Quantico and, and to get as much forensics evidence as they can get out of that. And it was about that time that it was determined that this was going to be a federal case. And that this was going to be the FBI's and we were just going to support them in any way they needed, which was pretty much what we were doing to begin with. But we didn't, we didn't hold up. We didn't wait and waste any time. Um, so now the TCV gets up there. It's about a little. It's after two o'clock in the morning, and now it's staying up there till the morning. We we don't do any night ops at the range. So um, an awful event that took place on September 11th, but 1976. Uh, Brian there, Murray. Brian Murray. So uh, they came under pressure um, to examine a device that was found in Grand Central. They they believe it was there was the same. Uh, terrorists that had hijacked um, an airliner at the same time. And um, like I said, pressure to do a night op and, and and Brian was killed that night. So those are our rules. And there's, you know, it's reasonable to, to be strict that no matter who's asking you, no matter who's demanding and pounding their their hand on the desk that they want information, not that anybody did that that night, but, we don't do night ops at the range because they're just too dangerous and there's no reason to. So, and it's better if also you do it in the morning, you collect your thoughts, you gather a bigger team, you gather more equipment that you need, that you need. And daylight is always your friend. And, uh, and, and that's what ended up. uh, I'll touch on that a little bit.
2: I can just interject real quick on a couple of accounts uh, for those not familiar with the Murray incident, and then I'll explain the TCB as well uh there's two 9 11 deaths in the history of the bomb squad one is brian burn the other one's claude richards who died 25 years later at, at the trade center uh but that night a croatian terrorist uh, had hijacked an aircraft and they had a phony bomb on that aircraft but they put a real bomb at grand central to you know f- further raise the credibility of the phony bomb on the aircraft so that's when they took it brought it out to the range terry mcteague who just got one of the streets down down by the range named after him was on that job too as was brian and that's when it went off unfortunately and brian died and the other one for the TCV, I believe, and John Latanzio points this out in the chat. Hey, John, good to see you, buddy. As always, there's three of them. There's, and Richie teams mentioned this before as well. Yep. One's at Truck 2 in Harlem. The other two are at Truck 6 in Brooklyn and Truck 8 in Brooklyn. Uh, and they're used, as Paul said, on specific bomb jobs. You may remember for the audience on a previous volume of Tales from the Boom Room, the 1997 letter bombs incident, the TCB yep. was used there as well. So just wanted to provide that context for the audience. Continue, Paul.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So now the, the, the TCB is locked up at the range. We're very, you know, we're, we're happy with the range security. It, it's gated in, it's locked up. With There's 24 hour security at the range. Plus we had staff staying up there overnight just to make sure that nobody actually, you know, made any bad inquiries to, you know, or, or to try to go down there. So the, the TCB is locked up. So now we're back. It's it's still now, now For us it's 10 o'clock at night. Um, I'm backtracking. And we're processing the scene as, as, as best we can. And um, we set up grids and we're squaring away a lot of, um, a lot of really, you know, good evidence. Uh, We're finding pieces of pressure cookers. We're finding some other pieces, uh, finding a lot of shrapnel, a lot of BBs, a lot of ball bearings. Um, And we were very fortunate to have the amount of staff that we had with us. Um, So, as we're, as we're working the scene all night long, I mean, I think it was about now it's about two o'clock in the morning and I'm walking down the block with, uh, evidence with an evidence recovery team members and we're just pointing stuff out, pointing stuff out. Sure enough, we look down and there's a label. There's, there's actually a, a label for the explosive that they used. Um, so that was a great find for us because we were, we were going back and forth on whether it was high explosives or low explosives. And, uh, it turned out to be high explosives. And I actually had a, buy, had a, Tory, a case of beer on that <laughs> because we had, we had, we had a lot of people asking like, Oh, like, like, you know, a lot of big bosses. What is it? What I'm like, honestly, sir, I cannot give you that answer. I'm not a laboratory. Um, and we did, I swabbed a lot of stuff that night and we sent it out to the lab and, uh, and sure enough, it, it, it was, it was high explosives and I, I gave, marker a, a case of beer he's like what are you doing you can't give me a case of beer i'm like no i lost a bet i you you said it was high explosives i said it was low explosives. i said it could have been a large amount of low explosives and it could have been a decent amount of high explosives and i said you were right he's Oh, you're, you're nuts or whatever so i ended up like i gave him a case of beer on that one and that, that that's always an old bomb tech thing if you if you kind of foul up on the range or if you you know you trip something up or even even if you spell something wrong Case of beer is what you owe, so but that, that's old. <laughs> um,
2: and then the lieutenant's case of cigar too. I know he loves cigars.
1: Yes, yes, uh, but he only all he got was was a case of beer on that one. <laughs> so on, on, on our scene, as we're working and we, we're finding a lot of little stuff. Um, so Steve Sansone was my partner. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little bio on Steve Sansone. So Steve, when, when I interviewed him to come into the squad. I saw this kid who was just super bright, and um, and just wanted to absorb information. And uh, him and I worked together a lot. And when I did when I did his interview and picked him up, I, I interviewed a, a few ESU guys also, who I also loved him and we picked up also. So these guys go to school, and, and Mark asked me. He says, "Paulie, he says, who, you know, seen you who, who do you want for your team?" And I said, "Oh, give me the Highway Kid." And He's like, "Highway Kid." He's like, you're an E-man. He says, why would you, why would you pick the highway kid? You got all these other emergency guys. I said, I said, there's something about this guy. I said, this guy is, he's really, he wants to learn everything we do. And, uh.
3: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I'm
1: proud of him. I tell you what. And him and I, we, we, we worked that scene. I mean, and ever since then, I mean, he's done nothing but advance in the bomb squad. He's, he's like a, he's like a number one guy on the stabilization team. He really, he knows what he's doing. He's, he just loves it. And um real proud of him. So, so that night he finds the, the IEMI tag from the phone. Which was like a, a literal needle in the haystack. You talk. I was about, just about
2: to say that. You took the words right out of my mouth.
1: Oh, bomb debris everywhere, and he finds this tiny little tag that identifies the phone and where it came from. And sure enough, that that ended up linking. At least it definitely linked the two devices. Well, we kind of, you know, kind of guessed that the two pressure cookers were going to be, and also New Jersey. So um just little things like that, just being so, so alert and uh, you know astute to your, to, to your craft. like he, he found that and we, and we just kept moving all night long. We just kept going and going and going until we were relieved the, the, the next morning. and um, so now so now the next morning, I'm, I'm not there. Uh, I forget what I was doing. I'm not sure if I stayed there for the whole full tour or I was relieved sometime in the afternoon. Um, but we're still holding down that area. Now we're searching buildings. We're searching, we're going through windows. Actually, we had an issue and fire problem They're bringing us ladders to get into, into buildings and that, that, that had just been, you know, damaged and had been abandoned or under construction. And they hadn't, we had no way to get into them. So we just kind of, we went in through the holes that were blown in, you know, the windows and we were still finding stuff all night long. Um, So, so now the morning or the afternoon is now it's Sunday, and we don't normally do range operations on Sunday, to, just just to keep the people of City Island happy, and you know not blowing stuff up on you know give them a little peace on a Sunday, right? Um, but now this is this is important, and there's a range operation going. So, Lieutenant Torrey and Sergeant Connolly, Jay, Timmy, uh, and a handful of other guys. Tony Mason was the um, was the range safety officer at the time. They they decide that they're going to render this this device safe. And um, they were gonna they were gonna try and open it remotely with the robot, um, which was very difficult. And the the top of it was actually kind of gacked up, so they really couldn't just spin the top of this off. Um, so they decided to do the action that I had mentioned, and they actually they they, they disrupted it. I'm not going to go into what that is, but they disrupted it, and when they when it opened up, um, this this had a homemade explosive mixture and um, pretty much what we would call a cleanup shot, time fuse and light bulbs and like pretty much everything that was like on his workbench. He kind of swept into the the pressure cooker and he had enough explosives in it to, for, for the high order and to make everything go away. So, or make everything very small. So they end up getting that open uh, after 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 a bit and some and some nice uh, a nice shot. They, they they get it open and they, they collect all the evidence uh, for that for that one. Um, they did get uh, a lot of stuff that we had also on our device, which was great because we were able to, to do a comparison. So now the whole case is um, is for the FBI now. So now it's, it's their case and, um, and they, and they did, they did a fantastic job on, um, on on the prosecution end of it. And, uh, fortunately he's, he's in jail right now, which is, um, I think he's in jail. He's in jail. He's not that. He's,
2: he's in jail. So, um. he got consecutive life sentences too. Yeah. He's never done now.
1: No. So that being said, it was really, um, that, that, that JTTF thing. That not a lot of organizations have. Um, sure. you know, I, I mentioned Pete Licata and I mentioned Kenny Lee Young and um, uh, Brian Murtaugh. that there were guys there that were there all night. That you know, we, we don't just go attend the training thing with these guys. Like they they come to the shop and have dinner with us. Like there's not you know, it's not like oh the FBI is here. Like oh oh Pete's here, Oh, Brian or Kenny's here. Like we know these yeah. guys, and it's it's always like like I would call the guys in boston or call the guys in jersey that that next phone call is right to or the actually they pete's Pete fbi call probably be before the jersey and um right of course but but i bring up like i brought up the um the boston marathon uh and like how we wanted we really wanted to go and we we were trying to to to, to not sneak up there, but we were trying to get a way for them to authorize us to go and give them help because they were really in a bad way. Uh, fortunately, we did, we had a lot of staff with us in Chelsea that night. We had a lot of people on standby and in the office, ready to go at a moment's notice. And, and we had people lined up to, to collect evidence and, and to really go over the scene. Um, but, every, but the Boston Marathon every year after that, we did proper notifications and we supported them and we we went up every year and worked the boston marathon they they actually gave us they they gave us a town to be the the bomb the bomb team they they would give us one massachusetts trooper and and i we would bring up three vehicles or four vehicles sometimes if we had them and we would be you know put one guy uh in boston uh three three teams at um in wellesley one of the towns we used to work at so so the, the whole, like New York City Police Department bomb squad. Yes, we are. We, we are. We are a really good, a great bomb squad. But we're we're almost global. Like we can reach out to anybody and make that call and say, "Hey, listen, you know NYPD bomb squad. I I, I need to know, like, because they may be coming this way."
2: Right. Well, What'd look at where you matter? work. Look at where Absolutely. you work. It's New York City. It's a global yeah. city. You know, there's everybody in the world, different cultures, different races live there. And I remember one time Danny McNally telling me this because I was walking with him in the city one time. We were walking uh, past the street festival and I said, you know, I know this is going to sound like a stupid question, Danny, but why do they choose here? Why is this the place that they always choose? And he said to me and, you know, matter of factly, but it made sense because this is the place where you can make the biggest statement. Absolutely. And that what, that's what that guy, for whatever his reasons were, was trying to do that night.
1: Yeah, the most televised, probably the most um, casualties too. Think about it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna critique his his techniques because I don't want anybody to learn anything bad. But you know, it it could have gone very, uh, very different that night if there were there were different factors. Right. So we were fortunate. I mean, I feel uh, awful that the people were injured and and property was damaged. Uh, There were no fatalities that night. And honestly, with a couple of changes in, in events that took place, there could have been. So now we go back to 27th street, mm-hmm. 27th street. <clears throat> we, we go back now and we're looking at video because now we're trying to find out who, who this guy is and, and trace his steps from Chelsea back to where he came in. He actually came in through Penn station. He walked those devices through Penn station and, um, and I'm not, I'm not, we can't fault anybody because there was no way where anybody would have known. Um, so he gets backtracked now to on video. So he, he leaves that device, the pressure cooker with the phone, on 27th Street. But he left it in a piece of luggage. So when he walks this device up to a pile of garbage on 27th Street in a brand new piece of luggage and, and walks away. There are two Egyptian flight attendants, two male flight attendants, who are just walking up the block. They were on a layover, and they're walking around New York City, and they see this guy leave this brand new luggage on the street. So, if you were a mechanic and somebody left uh, a, pair, a set of wrenches on the street, you'd be like, "Oh, look at these wrenches! This guy just put in the garbage." Now, if you're a flight attendant and somebody puts brand new luggage on the street in the garbage, you'd be like, "Oh, look at this luggage!" So. On video, these two flight attendants walk up to the luggage, and they actually pick it up. They open it up, don't even look. They take the pressure cooker out with the clock on, with the with with the phone on, and they place it on the street. Because that's they don't care what's inside it. They don't even look at it, and they're right. holding the bag up. Oh man, you could you could almost you could read their lips saying, "Oh, this thing's great." Look at this. These people throw away such nice stuff, and you know, in America, this is this is fantastic. They sit, they zip it up, and off they go. So at first we thought we were looking for them. Sure enough, we tracked them down and they explained themselves like perfectly. And then when we, we, we watched the video and their story, it's like, that's exactly what happened. Right. These poor guys were, were suspect at first, but honestly, they were just walking down the street and they took the device out of the bag. And I'm not going to tell you how, how the device was supposed to function, but it wasn't supposed to function like that. And they were very lucky that it didn't have some kind of, um, you know, switch in it that would have injured them or killed them. But they took it out. They didn't even look at it. Just put it right around right the street and they took that luggage and they were happy. Like they, they won the lottery and they walked away.
2: I'm glad that I interview you guys for this mini series because I can. I'm stupid enough to do something like that. If I didn't have the background <laughs> knowledge, you guys give me. Hey, look at this luggage. <laughs> you know, so right? that would yeah. be me. I can't even fault it for that because I know I would do that.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of things that just came out after the fact. Like, did you guys see this? I'm like, no. What, what why did you ask us if we saw that? Well, we, we backtrack video and we saw this, that, and yeah. you know, we see our bad guy has more on him than just two suitcases. Right. So, right. and then that brings us back to Jersey later on that night. So now he leaves New York, he goes back to Jersey and he decides he's going to just take his, his leftovers which was a few more pipe bombs. And he puts them in the, in the trash. And he had another, like some, some type of, I don't know, kind of luggage bag or whatever it is. And a homeless guy is going through the dumpster at, at the New Jersey transit facility. And he discovers it. This is an Elizabeth, right? This is an Elizabeth. Okay. Right. So, um, so the police respond, Jersey trans respond, and now the Jersey state police are now again, going back to handle these. And uh, while they were examining one of them, it, it, it functioned. Yeah. So, but it was all remote. They did it with a robot. Um, fortunately, you know, nobody got hurt. Piece of equipment got damaged and that's fine. You know, we, we, you, you can deal with that every day. Those, those are your justifications to City Hall when, you know, you're buying a, you know, 20 to a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment is like, well, would you rather pay for that? Or, you know, a funeral funeral? and, and have a family, you know, without uh, a family member. So, right. Yeah. So, and and in Jersey that ended up working out uh, for there, you know, nobody got hurt. They collected a lot of evidence. And then it wasn't until I believe the next morning when our perp is hiding in a doorway and, um, 9-11 9-11 call. Somebody's hanging out in my vestibule. I got to get rid of him. I don't know what he's doing, homeless guy or whatever. And the police roll up and sure enough, it's our perp. And he ends up getting into a shootout with, with the local PD and um, injured and, and, and taken into custody. So, and then from there on, you know, the case is developed and that's it. It was pretty much, it was great. I thought, it, I mean, handled as a, as a great, um, Collaboration of, uh, of of police resources and federal resources worked together fine. We got everything done. Um, we collected a lot that night. We collected a lot the next day, and we had a bad guy in custody. So that, that's and and nobody nobody died. So it's it's a, a win win, um, especially when you have a, a bomb that's already gone off. So you know, like I right. said, it could have been so much worse. But and now, I, and I tell you what, that device with with my new job. With the USBTA, i uh, I put that device out i've I've remade that device and taken that and taken that on the road so many times and and I, and I tell you what I, I I would feel really bad for like the trooper or the cop that God forbid I got into an accident or something and they had to handle my car and they would find you know a carload of of fake bombs in the back they they would probably have to change their pants and then I'm sure whatever police bomb squad would have a fit. But I, I, I demo that. I, I bring that device out and I make sure that every squad that I run into or have a class with or anything like that has to deal with that device. And they have to use bomb squad procedures to make it go away. And, um, and, and, and to me, it's like, why not? Like, are you sure? I, I, can, make the, I can make the crazy we, James Bond device with all sorts of circuitry. And, and we do have those. And, and, that, and, that, and that's a great lane. And we do other lanes, um, but I, I feel that one's kind of close to home. That if anybody ever says, "Well, where have you seen that?" Well, I I, I did see it. I saw you know, yeah, it detonated on Twenty Third Street. You know, my, yeah. my my guys took care of it on you know, at the range, and other squads Boston Marathon. The, I I knew I know those guys super super well, and they had one too. So it's like. This is a common thing and it should be practiced all the time. You know, it's the, it's, it's disposal of
2: or dismantling of or whatever. So. Yeah. Well, I know I'd have to change my pants as soon as I open up the truck. and I <laughs> never mind. You have a great day, sir. Let me backtrack a little bit. Cause I have the clip on YouTube. I'm going to mute the clip from ABC news now because of copyright. They're usually good with that. Okay. Cause I want you to provide commentary uh, over it. And it's the moment that the, uh, the device went off and Brian Ross is doing this reports. So I'll share it here. And so they're walking.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And let's see. There you go. It's going to come up right now. There you go. Yeah. Literally there. centimeters away from death.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's across the street. So I, I mentioned that dumpster, that, uh, that, Two cubic yard dumpster, which is a pretty good size, you know. It's it's about up to your chest, and it's you know it's it's you know that wide. It's you know big enough to fit in, small enough to fit in an elevator, but big enough to fit a lot of stuff. That dumpster flew 123 feet across the street, and it was twisted. It was and that could kill somebody, like and that could have killed somebody also. Um, so, and and that's a pretty far distance, and that, and that and that's where where Mark and I got into the not sure the high or low explosives um, thing, but, you know, a case of beer is a case of beer. Uh, but yes, so, you know, a lot of and all those videos, we, you know, we examined, we went over and over and over on those videos just trying to backtrack and find, you know, and, and, and to collect more evidence on that.
2: Well, the hours got well. We're about we're about a fifty minutes here, and, and the hours flown by has been great. And you've been you, I just I put you in the driver's seat, and you drove off, so that's good. I appreciate you doing that because I didn't want to do any talking. Obviously, you were there, not me. But I'll ask you. For those of you that don't remember, when Paul was on the show last year, we covered your whole career last year, and I'll link that interview uh, in the description. Obviously, you had before you got to the bomb squad in February of two thousand two. You had nine years in the emergency service unit, so you know both sides of the coin, and you were in truck one in Manhattan. The bomb squad's primary office is in the Greenwich Village section of that. And you were there 18 years before you retired a couple of years ago. You just started up the new job. So basically 27 of your 32 year career was in Manhattan in specialized units that have to deal firsthand with these incidents when they happen. So yeah. from your perspective now, without giving anything classified away, six years on from that day, how vulnerable is Manhattan in particular from your vantage point? Well, like right now? Yeah, I think we're, I, I think, well, listen
1: I, listen, I, I always want to say that we are the most prepared police department in the country, probably in the mm-hmm. world. Right. Um, you know, we have resources and our, our resources stretch out much further than, like like, like I said, like I can call somebody any, anywhere probably on the planet and get some kind of intel. We have intel people all over the planet feeding us intel back. Like the NYPD is, is bigger than some federal agencies, I mean, you know, and we've been doing this for so long that you learn, you know, you learn from your mistakes and you learn that, listen, if we just had some, a little bit more intel on this, or if we had another piece of equipment that could do this, or, you know, how did, how did that procedure work out, you know, on that event? Well, let's fix it. You know, don't do the, don't make the same mistakes twice. Um, we are, we, we are very well equipped. Um I'm not, I'm not going to get political, but you know, your cops are probably the best cops in the, in the world. If not, definitely if that the country definitely in your, in, you know, they, they you're going to be able to get, and, and they want to help and they, and they want to be good cops and they, and they want to, you know, go out and do their jobs. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch on any of the touchy subjects because we, 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 we spoke with it, of this already, but <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're in really good shape. Uh, unfortunately, Unfortunately, you know 24/7 in the, one of the biggest cities in the country um, covering every inch of this city is, is difficult and you know and we, we try our hardest but you know you'll always get one slide by and, and, and that's how we always say that like you know you can you could try to be right all the time but that one, you know that, that one mistake or that or that, that one time you let your guard down is always the time it's gonna to bite you and you know we hope it doesn't and we, you know, we, we hope that, you know, we, we keep doing what we're doing and we, and we, we keep getting the bad guys and we, you know, we, we stay progressive and we, we, we stay, you know, um, ahead of the curve. It, it's super important, you know, and, and it's so important to have specially specialized training, uh, units and specialized training schools. You know, I learned so much from you know specialized training school, STS for in, in emergency services unit. I, I have used those skills for everything, right through my entire ESU career, my entire bomb squad career, at home helping people out, um, man, I, I tell you what, retired life, I have neighbors calling me for everything. Paulie, can you do some electrical work for me? Can you get up on a ladder? Can you uh, do this? like, and those, these are all things that I learned from ESU or from being in the bomb squad. These special, you know, special training um, that that we're afforded. You know, take it. We we take advantage of it and we run with it.
2: Sure, absolutely. Helps for life. Yeah, <laughs> Paul, can you pop on this podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, oh hey, if I can, Mike, you got it. Hey,
2: there, there you go. go. There, you know? go. Hey, there you go. Yes, you model right there. And Margaret Hearn just says, "Near Lodi, New Jersey." If I remember, she's asking secondary devices in Elizabeth, near Lodi, or the shootout was um, itself was near Lodi. You know what?
1: I'm not. I'm not talking out of class. I believe it was. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where they were in New Jersey. I thought it was in the Edison area.
2: Might have been. Let me see. I have the information. Yeah, it could have been Lodi. Those. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not exactly sure on that one. Let me see. Response. uh, Discovery of bombs in Elizabeth. search for suspects. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I believe it was near a
1: transit hub. I'm not sure where, though
2: yeah i'm trying to of course i have all the information but exactly except for the information i actually want in front of me um okay. let me see here so he was at 10 30 a.m linden this was in linden okay. linden okay captain captain steve Wren to your point small world he was watching he says i was the patrol duty captain that night secondary wow. my biggest concern as well as deciding where to designate the mobilization point
1: yeah
2: thank you for submitting that captain thank you. and it's thank you, captain. you know you know, and it, like you said, it was it was a great effort by all involved, and six years later, even though time has flown, you certainly marvel at it. And I, and I will say, it because I, oftentimes you've heard me say, and I guess we could wrap up with this before we get to the concluding, uh, you know, before we get to our parting shots, if you will. That the 90s was a busy time for the bomb squad, you know, talking to the guys that work in the bomb squad during that sure. time because a lot was going on. But really, that three year stretch, starting with this, was a busy time for you guys too in that era because you had this, then you had the New York Times, then you had CNN. So that was a really busy time. But anybody, the benefit of it is this thankfully, nobody got hurt or killed. Uh, too bad, you know, hurt too bad, that is. And also, the guys that worked during that time and handled those specific incidents to the newbies coming into the squad now, they had that as a measuring stick to train them. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, and and you got to continue to train and, um, and and a lot of times we, I I mean, we have a great range facility and we can do a lot of training up there. Um, we, we can't, we we can't blow up really big stuff up there. So we, 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 we tend to go out of town to train Mm -hmm. and, um, that, that that, that's definitely important to, to keep doing because, um, you, you need to be very versatile in your training. You need to be very, um, you need to be all over the map with what, what the possibility of your devices or your target may be. Um, so it's important to constantly train, train, train. I mean, we did all the time. I mean, I, I know that I, I, the guys used to,
2: they, they used to rollerize me and bust my chops all the time. Uh, thanks, Patty. And a good man, Patty Pogan, will be on the show. In a few weeks. So this was a great effort by all involved. And uh, Paul, before we go, I know you got the new job. So you shout that out, of course. Besides that, of course, anything else you want to shout out?
1: Uh, well, we got the uh, the Bomb Squad retirement parties on Friday. Congratulations to all the retirees. I'm included in, the, in those retirees. Um, mm-hmm. Just want to um, make sure everybody stays safe out there. And just, you know, really um, you know know your job, do your job, and um, and be good yep. at it.
2: The old Mark DeMarco line, of course. You got to have it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Got to have it. Absolutely. Um, I'll say.
1: And just to just to give you a heads up on the new job, the, the, the new job at the USBTA, at the United States Bomb Tech Association, it's uh, it's it, a, I'm loving it. it. It's very challenging. Um, they give me a very long leash. They let me. They let me run a lot of good training. Uh, we just ran one. We we just opened up a facility in Indian Head, Maryland, which is right outside the Indian Head uh, Navy Base and um, we just ran some really good training down there. We had a lot of fun. We have a homemade explosives lab inside. We have a huge yard. We can do disruptions outside. I, I ran a really cool uh, booby trap lane. Guys had a lot of fun being on their belly and cutting trip wires and stuff like that and doing hand entries, and it really makes me feel good to to give back, and uh, and, and, and that suitcase with the pressure cooker goes with me everywhere, and that's that's always one of the tasks that, you know, I make happen. And, and the great thing about this organization is that, uh, you know, it's 3000 members strong. We have um, every bomb tech, whether you're military, public safety or federal, it, it's free membership. Even if you were past bomb tech, you can join for free and it's a lifetime membership.
2: That's nice. um,
1: Yeah, it's great. And we have industry partners on board. So we have access to the most cutting edge. Brand new equipment, whether it be x-ray equipment, disruption equipment, suits, um, rigging equipment, anything you could think of that a bomb tech would put his hands on, detection equipment, all of this stuff um, is on hand. And when we run our training lanes, we are giving guys brand new stuff that's been right off the workbench from engineers. And we have the engin- engineers on standby with the owners of the company. And if a bomb tech picks it up it says, this is a piece of junk or if a bomb tech picks it up and says, this is fantastic. I need to have this on my truck. It's, it's available to these guys to, uh, you know, to, to examine and play with. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. I'm really, I'm very happy, very proud to be part of my, my past and
2: my, and my current position. So, yeah, I just saw you on LinkedIn doing something with Flying Aces, too. Tony Lisi was in there, yes. too, a retired EVAN Sargent. Yes. You guys were at City Field, and that's great because, yep. you know, you guys haven't been out of the game that long. Tony retired yep. 2018, you 2020. Yep. You still have so much to say, so you now you finally found a new platform to say it, which is awesome.
1: Yep, Andy, Dennis, and uh, and uh, Tony, we had great times running around. And uh, and, and, you, and you know what? It's important to – I mean, as much as I like teaching bomb techs, it's – got to teach – the first guy on the scene, what to look out for also. Right. Um, and, and Tony, I, Tony and I actually compliment each other pretty good when we, when we do our thing. Like he, he does a whole psychological program uh, profile and then I do the, the, the recognition end of it. So, um, and the two of us connect like a couple of screwballs when they're trying to uh, interview us and, and, and we still have a good time and these guys get a lot out of it. So it's, it's, it's fun and it's important. I, I know I can't go back to my job and teach, but I can definitely teach, you know, the people who would be calling my job to the scene, you know, give them a little bit of a, you know, a heads up what to look for and, you know, hopefully not to get hurt.
2: Well, this was awesome. Stick around. We'll say goodbye off the air. I'd like to shout out everybody that's ever been on, including you, Tales from the Boom Room, because like I said, tonight's the Milestone Volume 30, because thanks to you guys, I've learned a lot. And now I know what not to do (laughs) when I'm approaching as a switch package. So I picked up some valuable tips and I wish I could shout out everybody, but we'd be here a long time if I did. But to all of you off the air who've helped me out and on the air, to help Tales from the Boom Room get to this point, I really appreciate it. And it starts with you in the chat, Billy Ryan, as well. You were the guy, I credit you frequently, Retired Arson Explosion Squad, the hey, detective, as the guy that uh, helped me create this miniseries. He's the co-executive producer, gave me the title. So hats off to you, Billy, as well. And coming up next on uh, the Mike the Maven podcast on Friday, we hit another milestone. Tonight was volume 30 of Tales from the Boom Room. This Friday is going to be volume 30 of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite, so I'm excited about that as well. It's going to be Dan Potter. Dan started his career in D.C. as a fireman, came back to New York in the early 1980s, did 19 years with the FDNY, and he's got a book coming out, so that should be a good chat with him for that milestone and uh for those of you at that uh work at fox and own the cops intro i know you're going to put a copyright claim on this video but it was worth it so shout out to you too so on that note on behalf of retired nypd bomb squad detective paul perico and this has been the milestone volume 30 of tales in the boom room paul will say goodbye off the air i'll see you guys friday and uh, we'll see you next time take care, thanks for having me mike take care everybody